This is the Masonic Light Podcast featuring Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. A non-stuffy, somewhat humorous approach to understanding our craft. We guarantee you'll have a good time or your money back. This podcast is not endorsed or approved by the Grand Lodge or any jurisdiction. In fact, they'll probably hate it. And now, here's our host, Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. So, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Masonic Light Podcast. I'm Pete Ruggieri, and this is Larry Maris. Good, uh, good morning. So, we're here for episode three. We've actually done some research this week and done some studying, so our show should not be as crappy as normal. Um, we also have our first guest today. That's correct. Um, we're going to get more to our guest later, but we'll introduce him as uh, Seth Anthony, Worshipful Master of Abraham Treichler Lodge in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Good morning. And... Uh, Seth is, um, he wears many hats in Freemasonry. He belongs to pretty much everything that you are allowed to belong in, belong to. He also belongs in many things that I've never heard of. So, um, you know. Deuce card in a pen, I'm in. Exactly. And he, um, I don't know what else to say about Seth. He's got, well, at least not with him here. I will say one thing. We attended the uh, Pennsylvania Academy of uh, Knowledge a few weeks ago. And Seth was kind of single-handedly responsible for setting up a podcast, a live stream podcast for the uh, roundtable guys, the um, Masonic roundtable podcast that came in and actually gave some speeches and actually did a live podcast. And the whole thing was set up by yours truly. I I don't know if I'll take all of that credit. Those guys brought their equipment and their their stuff with them, but I made sure the infrastructure was there and uh, I made sure they all had water every time they needed it. That was really the key job. So Larry and I had talked about doing a podcast, but we didn't really, you know, we talk about a lot of things. But then when we saw those guys do that up in Elizabethtown, we're like, you know, we can do that. Not as well, but we could probably still do it. And, um, you know, if we just market our show to like old people who know nothing about technology, they might actually think we're good. So, there you go. So that's our, our kind of our goal. So, Larry, what have we what have we done since our last uh, our last episode? Well, again, we do have a busy show today. Uh, we've done the you've done the Masonic Con, which we want to get a report on that to see how good it was. Uh, we had our Grotto experience, uh, which was uh, outstanding, by the way, and a huge attendance. And we had Goose and Gridiron. We had uh, other meetings and so forth. So it's been a busy week. So the the, the Masonic Con was the guys up in Attleboro, Massachusetts, put together a um, a little thing. First time they've ever done it, <clears throat> where they had, gosh, I don't know, sixty some vendors or exhibits, um, people selling swag. I was there selling my Masonic scarves, but there was all kinds of, you know, there was all kinds of great people there with great exhibits. Um, the uh, the local grotto, Nava Grotto, put on a degree, um, which um, I think they appreciated what uh, Jake Young and I did when we visited, because apparently we had been drinking a little bit that morning, and we showed up acting kind of like we normally do at Ubar Grotto. Yeah, Nava's a little new. They probably aren't really released to that experience yet. Yeah, they're, but... Um, they're the they, baby grotto in the realm. But they um, they seem to, I think they, they didn't kick us out, um, but, um, so that was a good time. Their uh, tall cedars also put on a uh, um, a, de- a degree up there that day. And it was a good time. Uh, what kind of attendance did they have for it? They told me it was about seven hundred people. Well, that's not bad. You know, they have a big lodge building. It's an old building. Um, it's like four stories. Um, they made me go into this like <clears throat> rickety old elevator, like service elevator, and there was like the you know the old man in there pushing buttons. So we had to go up to the penthouse, the top floor. Of course, that's where you want to put like a fat guy carrying a bunch of heavy stuff. I had to go up there and sweat like uh, sweat like a pig, which is great. It's good for you. Um, but yeah, then we get like almost all the way up and he stops the elevator, opens the doors and we're between floors. <laughs> get out. So yeah, like, you know, I love I love our senior <laughs> brothers, but maybe not let him drive an elevator. Um, but yeah, it was a good time. Our hotel was kind of sketchy. We stayed at a night's inn. And that was probably a mistake, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure I... I'm glad I didn't bring a UV light, or I would have... Oh. It, it was pretty gross. Oh, wow. Sleep with your clothes on on top of the bed. 
Yes, yes. We yeah, just kill it with fire. That's <laughs> probably the only thing. Well, um, we, we had a we had a great grotto meeting on uh, last Sunday. Yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. that's what we'll probably get into that a little bit with uh, Seth as well, because Seth is the charter monarch of Ubar Grotto. Seth wasn't there. Well, that's why we got to tell him about there. it. Okay. I got to well, hear all about it from you guys. <laughs> First time I think I've ever been at Grotto meeting, Seth wasn't there. Uh, third. I've, I'm third. keeping track. Oh. I, I've, I've, I've heard plenty from other people, so we'll get your side of the story, and then we'll just match everything up. So, yeah, it was, um, we, at, at Ubar, we do, um, we have our ceremonial two or three times a year. This year, we're doing it twice. April and October. Um, and we also have two me- two meetings, which we call convivials, where we give away, uh, well, you know, give it away, but it's a free meal. But it's not really free because we kind of include it in your dues money. Right. So, but it also, since we're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where people are really, really cheap, people show up for their free dinner. So that might be a good tip for other Masonic bodies. Roll an extra 20 or $40 into your dues per year. And include one or two free meals, and you're going to get a good turnout because people are cheap and they're going to show up to get their money's worth. Oh, absolutely. It works every time. And if they don't, then you get 20 extra dollars in your coffers at the end of the year. So, well, One of the good things about Grotto, we, we also had our initiation. We had 14 new guys coming into the Grotto, and that is a nice number. And, you know, a lot of the guys are, were like, um, a lot of the guys were longtime Masons. And longtime serious, serious Masons. And I don't think they were prepared for our shenanigans. If, if I recall the numbers correctly, when I was running them, about 40% of the members of our grotto were past masters. And I think there were seven or eight 30 thirds out of the 120 members we had. So it, it's definitely not a, an organization that's full of new kind of green behind the ears guys. It's, it's the old guys who are coming around and want to have some fun because they've, they've gotten tired of being boring everywhere else. And in Pennsylvania Freemasonry, there's, really not much fun to go on it's 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 i think designed to be not fun yeah we'll talk about that as we get further into the program here i don't want to i don't want to go off larry's agenda oh no because he's he's very perturbed that we're uh, we're, we're we're going off off chart well look you can't whisper to the la- producer larry just just talk tell, tell him i didn't br- i didn't whisper no well, you're mouthing it like you have a secret you have, well i'm giving him a sign uh we need to take a short break no we don't we don't yeah, need a break yeah, we yet sign. Yeah, we, do. we still got to talk about some stuff oh uh, we can Really? We do. Are we still doing We had news? other things going on this week. I'm being overridden. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to take another pee break. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> we so we, we had our Tall Cedars thing this week. Yeah, you guys got some new silly hats. Oh, I yeah. saw some great pictures of that. So, Larry, what did you think? So, Larry and I both joined the Tall Cedars this week. Yes, we did. Um, By Forest, Lancaster Forest, number 27. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, and I mean, it's a, it's a great charity. Um, you know, I mean, I may or may not have done it for mercenary or other motives. Sure, sure. But, um, so Larry, what did you think of our, uh, our uh, Tall Cedars degree? First, oh, almost three and a half hours. And the initiation went on forever and ever. And of course, here we go with the proverbial plays again. Uh, the good thing about this was it was on video. And actually, it was pretty well done. I can't say it wasn't. It was nice. Good everything. It was good video. But it just took forever and ever. And you know, one of the things that just bothers me, and I know we must do it, is the recognition. We had Grand Lodge uh, uh, officers in. And Tall Cedar and dignitaries Tall Cedar, of their yes, Grand Yes, and every one of them had to be introduced. Every one of them had to make a speech of some sort or another. And the night just went on and on. And that's why and Tall Cedar dignitaries on. stopped coming to Grotto. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so we had... Um, Tall Cedars is a little different that the wives are allowed to attend, at least most of the meetings. And um, so, yeah, I made my wife sit through three and a half hours of that. Um, So, And you're still married, which is impressive. Well, honestly, I'm going to give away the biggest secret of Freemasonry. If you bring your wife to things like that, they know that Freemasonry is the most boring thing on the planet. (laughs) And if you ever ask to leave the house to do anything really, involving the masons they just say go you want to go honey no 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 you just go and have have fun fun. (laughs) just go so uh, that i get a free pass whenever i want to leave the house so that's nice when i actually have like a grotto meeting where we actually do have fun 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 she just assumes it's another um another stupid meeting but um she doesn't listen to the show so well it's also true you know when sometimes they schedule depending on the meetings that we have whether it be lodge or, or or wherever 
uh, another good rule of thumb is bring a snake handler in. What Larry's referring to is when I was master, I scared all the women away. We, we have a thing every April called uh, Strawberry Night or Ladies Night. And the guys go upstairs and have a quick meeting. And meanwhile, the ladies are downstairs and we provide entertainment. Well, I was a 100% confirmed bachelor at that point, And I really didn't think what ladies wanted or didn't want. So I hired a traveling reptile show to uh, come and give a talk on snakes and reptiles. And they started, they started passing out snakes to the ladies to hold on to. So yeah, it's been like 16, I don't know how many years since I've been master, but uh, ladies still give me like the evil eye when they see me. Cause, and we still lost that one snake still missing. Still so missing. we would like to still remind missing. them that it Fantastic. could be anywhere in the building. It could be anywhere in the building. It's four floors. I mean, it's massive. It's a massive building. So, so I, I really want to hear your opinion, however, on the pyramid as a different kind of silly hat for Freemasonry. It, it's a very divisive subject. People either love the pyramid or they hate the pyramid. It looked like we were all extras from the cast of Elf. Okay. Um, Fair enough. It was Fair pretty enough. awful. It's, it's bad. It's a bad hat. It, it's, it's, it's a little rough. I mean, some guys really, really enjoy that hat, but it, it's, a, it's a hard look to pull off and, and make look good, and I don't know very many people who do. Well, one thing that was nice, though, like in our class of 14, we were like, there was one other member there with a green hat. So... Everybody else in the room had a white hat on or a red hat or a yellow hat, meaning they were higher rank. So they had all gone through the chairs. Mm-hmm. So that group was pretty stagnant before the 14 of us came in. So hopefully we can... As a member of Lancaster Forest who hasn't attended Lancaster Forest in a long time, I can understand that. So hopefully we can inject some fun into that group and uh, give it, bring out the CPR paddles and, <laughs> and make I'm, it fun to go to I think I'm still on a, on a Tall Cedar Supreme Committee for opening new forests somewhere. I'd have to go back and look at my book. They just keep appointing me to things. So, and so Larry, the last thing we need to talk about in the recap before you want, we go to the break that you want to go to. You had mentioned in the beginning uh, Goose and Gridiron. So that's our, our weekly breakfast and we had a huge turnout last week. Yes, we did. We had uh, 16 people show up, guys, and it was a good turnout. Um, we're sort of beginning to outgrow the room, so uh, we have to begin to look at uh, perhaps some other place to host, especially if we start averaging 16 every day. Um, yeah, I mean, it used to be we could have like four or five guys and have a discussion about Freemasonry, life in general, kind of like if somebody's having some problems, you could talk it through. Now it's just a bunch of deaf men yelling across. What? <laughs> exactly. It, it's, it's brutal. Um, and then, God bless them. Some of the guys, they all have different experiences. And somebody started recounting Vietnam War stories and, you know, like. Uh, or, or wiring a building or a house and so forth. Yeah, it have just a couple gets, wiring experts in our group. And it gets a little weird. It does. It does. So. Well, we'll go to our first break. We'll come back and we'll actually interview our guest for real this time. Sounds good to me. See you guys. Today, more than ever, the fate of nations is led by a cabal of individuals and corporations. From the price of gas and basic necessities continually escalating, people are feeling like puppets with a chosen few pulling the strings. In other words, follow the money. In a fascinating work of historical fiction, The Red Serpent chronicles how the rich and powerful have prevailed through the centuries of history. 5,000 years after Sumerians bury the greatest wealth of knowledge the world has ever known, traces of it surface in the 20th century, along with omens and executions. The Vatican is in a frenzy to possess it. A secret society will stop at nothing to control it, and innocent people are doomed by obscure connections with it. In a bizarre quirk of fate, an obsessed French policeman, an alluring philology professor, an ex-Mossad rabbi, and a powerful Jewish family join forces to solve a triad of ancient puzzles. They must battle their way through Europe, outwit assassins, and dodge overwhelming foes. But how do they convince governments to aid them in their quest? What if they run out of time? And can they pull off the phenomenon that will change civilization forever? The Red Serpent by Larry Maris is available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble, plus fine bookstores everywhere. It's good to be back. We had to, we had to give a little bit of time to our paid sponsors here. And by the way, folks, if you're listening to this program, you have a small business, 
talk to us. Give us a yell. Put something on our Facebook page. Uh, email us. We are starting to line up sponsors. And believe it or not, we have a couple people who are interested. Right now we have two. We don't have a rate card. We don't have a rate card yet. So um, I've never heard Pete turn down money, though. So I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, it. it'll be pretty darn cheap. Uh, <laughs> maybe like 10 bucks, uh, 10 bucks an episode <laughs> until we figure this out. Uh, just enough to cover our lunch when we leave. There you go. Yeah, we're so, going to be more commercial than our brothers at the Masonic Roundtable. Yeah. So our, our first guest today, our only guest today, is uh, Seth Anthony. And uh, Seth, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about, I don't know if we could do this briefly because it's so long, but briefly tell us about your Masonic journey. It kind of started with DMLA, didn't it? Yeah, I started with DMLA at the age of 18, which is actually pretty late into the DMLA world. Uh, I joined DMLA in 2001, uh, did... Uh, did the whole thing, became master counselor, did all that stuff in the local chapter. I served as an elected state officer for Pennsylvania DMLA for a couple of years. Um, I got involved with Lodge at that point and then, you know, kind of went off, finished college, did all of that sort of thing. Uh, and then in 2007, I got a call from uh, from Tom LeBlanc at the Pennsylvania Masonic Youth Foundation, asked me to go to work for him. And I became a, a full-time professional Freemason in 2008, which has then kind of given my life over to Freemasonry from, from that point forward. So I, I enjoy being a professional Freemason in that way. I still work for the Masonic fraternity through the Masonic villages. Um, but in between, uh, if there's a Masonic body, I've joined it and I've probably served an officer in it in some capacity, even if I didn't preside. So um, like a quick recap, I know you're in uh, obviously Blue Lodge. Mm hmm. Um, you've, are you in all four York Rite bodies? I'm, I'm currently master of my Blue Lodge. I'm a past high priest of Corinthian chapter number 224 in Elizabethtown, past thrice illustrious master of Goodwin Council 19, and a past commander of Cyrene Commandery that no longer exists, is now merged into Lancaster Commandery number 13, and I also served as a, a division commander or district deputy for the Grand Commandery. Nerd alert. Nerd. Um, so, and then you're also in Scottish, right? You were the first, um... You're in the Lodge of Harrisburg? or uh, I'm a member of the Valley, Valley of Lancaster and the Valley of Reading, and I'm in the Rose Quarry line in the Valley of Reading. Okay, and you're also in some bodies that nobody's heard of, like Allied Masonic Degrees, Knight Masons. Yeah, Allied Masonic Degrees, Knight Masons, uh, the Order of Athelstan, lots of side, small bodies that nobody's ever heard of. Perfect. So you're, um, but your mo mo biggest accomplishment and your lowest accomplishment would I think be the chartering of a brand new grotto. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I've kind of got branded with the mark of Kane, the grotto guy, although Pete's taken that mark from me now, which has brought the heat off of me, which I appreciate. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help, <laughs> but you know, so I guess here's what I want to say. Like, and I've learned this from traveling in grotto a little bit in many places, in the United States grotto is just as boring as any other Masonic Accurate. body. So, you know, kind of, I was not one of the charter members. I think I was in one of the first couple classes. And I think I'm, I'm the first elected officer. I like to point that out. I'm the first elected monarch. Um, but like the charter guys. So how did the discussion come about? And how did you choose Grotto instead of Siots or Siots? Also yeah. a member of that. Yeah, there you see. <laughs> pyramid number three, Matook in New Jersey. There's a shout out there too. Um, sorry, it's pyramid number one. I got a number three Fez because they were out of number ones, which is a great story. Uh, so we started... Grotto I got involved with actually because I was a division commander for the Grand Commandery. Uh, one of my fellow division commanders uh, was the monarch of the Grotto in Philadelphia, Delco, our, our mother Grotto. Uh, and he and I got to talking and I had known about Grotto from growing up in, in Erie where I did the DMLA experience and they were a good group and he was looking for members trying to, you know, he didn't want to be the monarch who didn't take in any members that year. So I said, fine, I'll, I'll come down and I dragged some other guys with me. And we joined down at Delco in a in a ceremony that was kind of read to us off a off a sheet of paper. It was pretty rough, but you know they they did they they were working with what they had at that point, and they've come a long way since. Um, <clears throat> so we we had this core group of of four guys who went down, and we got the Grotto magazine in the mail, and it said if you start a Grotto club and you keep it going for a year, they'll give you a thousand dollars for your club if you were doing stuff in the public. We thought, well. If, we can get six guys to walk in a parade and get a thousand dollars to to do something, um, but I was busy doing lots of other Masonic things. There wasn't a ton of excitement at that point, so we we did it, and then a year lapsed, and I got a message from the secretary down at Delco saying, "Hey, are you going to do that club thing you talked about?" I said, "I'm I'm just really busy with other stuff. It's really not top priority for me." He said, "Well, you know, if you ever want to do a grotto, it only takes twenty five to start a new one." I, I know 25 suckers that'll that'll give me dues money to, to start a new organization. 
So I, I started talking to some other Masons around me, uh, Alan Moyer, uh, Tom LeBaugh, a few other kind of well-knowns in the in the Masonic community. And these are guys that are long-time Mason, 33rd degree, big Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These, these are guys who I go, I go to for Masonic advice all the time. And I said, hey, what, what do you think about this? And the first thing they all looked at me and said was, why? What do you, what do you want to start another group for? We're all going to five meetings a week anyways. Why start another group? So we, we kind of sat down and brainstormed what could make this different. Um, masonry in Pennsylvania is dry, unlike a lot of other states. So kind of high on our list was, let's be able to have a drink at a meeting. Uh, because we're adults. Yeah, exactly. To try to do something different. At the time, too, we we looked around and said, you know, we don't want to meet in a Masonic building because in a lot of cases in Pennsylvania, you just can't have alcohol in those buildings, period. So we said, let's go back to the old school. And we started meeting on the second floor of a tavern. There's a small tavern in Elizabethtown, PA that at the time was called flavors is now called the lucky Lucky duck. Duck. Yeah. And we, we were meeting on the, the second floor of that building for about the first year that we existed. And then we outgrew it. Um, so anyways, we got the, we got 25 guys together, we started organized, truly organizing with meetings in January, and by July, this is January of 2011, and by July of 2011, we had Supreme Council officers flying in from God's Green Earth to, uh, to institute a grotto with 28 charter members, and it was the first one they'd instituted in about three years at that point, and I think they've instituted two since then. Um, so there's, there's certainly growth, and since then, though, that initial 28, we've taken in over 150 members, um, and I think we're about 120 on the books right now. So... And one of the, what was one of the things that appealed to you to go to Grotto versus there's, you know, we could have formed any kind of chapter of any group. Um, So one of the rumors I heard was that Grotto kind of let each Grotto do their own thing. Yeah, that's mostly true. Grotto is very laissez-faire with the operations of of the individual chapters that are out there. Um, As long as they aren't breaking any laws or causing them any problems, they're they're pretty open to whatever you want to do to make your organization work. Uh, So that was very appealing to us. And it was also very appealing because there was Grotto in Philadelphia, there was Grotto in Williamsport, Grotto in Pittsburgh, but it never been here. And we liked the idea of not having anybody tell us what to do. There was no past monarch that was going to come in and say, you can't do that because we've always done it that way before. There was no, there's a system of district deputies, but they, they aren't there to tell you what to do. They're just there to lend a hand. So it was a very open system where we could take it and make it into something that worked for us and what we wanted. And that's really what Grotto is all about nationally now is take the organization and make it work for your Masonic community. We're not going to try to force you into a mold. I think that um, one of the things that's very unique, and I know we have ambassadors that from our grotto that go to New York or go to other grottos who are invited to come. And one of the things that the other grottos find out, with the exception of Azim, they're kind of as crazy as we are. Uh, um, one of the things they find out is that they've been so regular, so Freemasonry, they're very dry. Yeah, with with the uh, with, with the the piece about the other grottos, just about the time Ubar came online, um, I, I was on a Facebook group, and Facebook's really been a huge help for a lot of this to get get folks together. And a guy named Isaac Moore, uh, Boo, he we would appreciate that. He's he's very anti Ubar, and we're very anti Azim and Isaac. He's um he's a big hipster in Williamsburg. Now, oh, he, he no, <laughs> yeah. Adam, tell me, tell me he's from Williamsburg. He'll really appreciate yeah, that. No. He loves Brooklyn, not the Bronx, though. The Bronx is terrible. Um, Isaac got onto this Facebook group and said, "Hey, we're trying to revive Azim Grotto in New York. What do we do?" And I had just gotten done opening Ubar and said, "Well, I'll tell you what we're doing in Pennsylvania. We're not that far off. L- let's talk and see what we can do." And about that time, I get a call from the Grand Monarch saying, "I hear you're talking to the guys at Azim." I said, "Yeah, I said, good. You're the deputy there now." Uh, okay so you've been in grotto for like a year and a half i I, at that point i've been like a member for a year i chartered a new grotto like oh so you're now the district deputy over the grotto three and a half hours away in new york city congrats there you go said what do you want me to do and uh the the grandmark at the time was like a guy named mo evans mo is a great guy he's from florida he's originally a jersey boy and and mo said to me on the phone seth i don't care what it takes i need you to go to new york i need that grotto to be good you just figure it out do what you got to do we'll make it work okay mo we're gonna we're gonna take care of that um, so we stopped, struck up this relationship with Azim that's a friendly rivalry, um, a, as it is. And we've been going back and forth and visiting with those guys ever since. They're really a, kind of a, our sister grotto. Their, their meetings are awesome. Have you ever been up to one, Larry? No, I haven't. Um, they, they're held at the Players Club, which is a beautiful classic building in Gramercy Park. Uh, the founder of the, 
of the club was um, Booth. Yeah, uh, it, the most famous actor of his time. Hey, and his brother is known for killing a president. So. Indeed. And uh, William Tecumseh Sherman and uh, Mark Twain were also early members. And I believe the one of the is a Fleming, one of one of the founders of the shrine. Correct. Was also was also yep. a member there. Florence. Florence. There Florence, we go. Florence, the actor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful building that we could never hope to have. That we could we never would destroy hope. it. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't own it, but they'll let us, they'll let Azim uh, like rent it for the evening. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. So, you know, being able to visit with them and, and trade ideas back and forth with Grotto has been really good for us. And so then we've started visiting other places and uh, Delco in Philadelphia has had a bit of a revival. They come up and visit with us a lot. Um, we, we see the guys from Pittsburgh pretty regularly. We've kind of had some interactions with the guys down south of us, down into the Richmond area and, uh, and Northern Virginia, Fredericksburg, those areas. So it's been, a, it's been a good way to approach the fraternity from a different angle and I think has brought something that we didn't have in this area in Pennsylvania, which was interactions with non-Pennsylvanians in Freemasonry because this area is pretty tight that we do our Pennsylvania thing and really don't talk to a whole lot of other people. Yeah, and, and Larry, maybe you can talk about this because you were originally a, a South Carolina mason right right and you were a mason for 40 some years before joining grotto so kind of tell us about your what you had experienced and what you liked about grotto well what i liked about grotto is even in south carolina i was a ancient freemason down there and that's where i was raised what i liked about it uh was the fact that it was totally totally I don't want to say non-Masonic, but irreverent. close, irreverent, irreverent in a nice way. And thanks. That's a good, 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 uh, good choice of word. And that's what I liked about it, because even in South Carolina, we were still stiff. South Carolina Blue Lodges were kind of York right with a touch of Scottish in them. And uh, they, they were pretty rigid in that respect, too. And of course, coming up here and transferring up here, I, I you know, I love the craft, but there's... Not a whole lot of, how should I say, fun? <laughs> There's really, I mean, I kind of like, I don't know, I was raised Catholic, so like going to Masonic functions to me kind of became like going to church on Sunday. Yeah. I didn't really enjoy it, but I was like, I got to do it. Like, uh, like because that, because that's, that's, you know, I and some people, and my wife loves her church. She goes to church. She has a great time there. I wish you had I, I go, up. it's like having my arm twisted. That, uh, but yeah, that's how I feel about most Masonic functions i enjoy it i enjoy the ritual but there's like no fun to be had the only fun to be had is you know if we go out for cocktails after the meeting let me put a disclaimer in here right now folks freemasonry is not a religion i repeat not a religion it's yeah it's a lot of pancakes yeah if you're if you're worshiping the god of pancakes and waffles man you are in the right house but otherwise <laughs> i i i larry is absolutely right that religion and freemasonry are not one and the same thing at all and that's one of the things I learned. Um, what's nice about meeting with the guys up in New York is, um, you know, you get to really see how diverse the fraternity is. And and we're here in Central Pennsylvania, or as I like to refer to it as Pennsylvania. Um, you know, you start even though we don't bring in religion and we don't bring in and politics, we're all friends on Facebook, and I get to see the like ninety nine percent of the the leanings of politics down here tend to be on the more conservative side and there's you know like george heinson on the on the one side carrying the bernie sanders banner on the other side but uh you know you get up into the new york area and you know it's the city and you know i it's i'm open to i mean i've, I've met gay members straight members black members white members uh every religion possible um you know to me it's more about what i kind of got into freemasonry for um, it's a very diverse group and I enjoy it. And we, you know, now instead of just going through ritual, we go out and have fun together. And I think that's really a key thing about being involved in a national body like Grotto, where you, where you are going out and visiting, you know, it's great to be involved in your grand lodge and your local blue lodge, but really you're kind of staying within the bounds of your own state or jurisdiction. And things tend to be pretty homogenous within those groups. When you start going out and seeing these other grand lodges and, and how they operate and the different kinds of people in them. Uh, and through these national groups, you realize how, one, how hard it is to manage a national group that's very different and diverse and just how very different the fraternity is outside of your little corner of, of Freemasonry. It's time to take a break right now so that we can 
have our paid sponsors who help with the show. And let me once again remind folks out there, if you have a small business, we are setting up advertising. Get a hold of us, please. The Masonic Light Podcast is sponsored by MasonicScarves.com, home of unique Masonic-themed soccer scarves. Our scarves aren't printed. All of the artwork is knitted into the design. We can also do custom-made designs featuring your local lodge or commemorating an event. These make a great gift for visitors, members, or for fundraising. Visit our website at MasonicScarves.com and click on the Shop Now button to see our full catalog. At checkout, use code PODCAST and you'll get $5 off per scarf www.masonicscarves.com All right, we're back from uh, Larry's pee break and um, we're uh, we're still here with Seth Anthony. And Seth, one of the things we had talked about once, I don't know, in some drunken haze is in our area, especially even in my building, we have, we have a Prince Hall Lodge. And the, the gentlemen are, are wonderful. They're great guys. And, you know, like, would they be allowed to join Grotto or another Masonic body? I mean, I always, I always thought that'd be interesting. They have their own their own world. Um, but, you know, if they could come together in, like, one of the appendant bodies, that'd be an, great. Absolutely, I'd agree. I, before we dig into this, I will offer the disclaimer that I do not represent the Supreme Council of the Grotto or anything like that. I'm just kind of speaking from experience here and not necessarily their opinions. The, the real challenge with that, and we, we've approached them about that question at least twice out of Ubar, and I know many other uh, grottos have done the same thing. The, the challenge is when you get to these large national meetings, you're bringing in Masons from across 50 states. And Prince Hall Grand Lodges aren't universally recognized at this point, you know, mainly in the Deep South and a couple other areas. So whenever you come together in a tiled Masonic meeting, if this fella, if a Prince Hall brother is from a Prince Hall Grand Lodge that maybe isn't recognized by one of the others, now we're putting in members in a very awkward position of having to violate an oath and obligation that they took to, to be in the same room. Is it really a problem on on a personal level, no, but from a Grand Lodge level, it does it does bring up some questions and some issues. Um, the, really, the only place that that can be solved is through the Conference of Grand Masters, where they handle the recognition issues. Um, you know, I would hope that they eventually we will see all the Prince Hall Grand Lodges recognized, and that will that will solve the problem and offer us an area to do that. Uh, but right now, really, the 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 reasoning for it isn't because somebody wants to keep them out. It's because we we can't put our current members in an awkward position. Well, that's uh that sucks, but I understand. Yeah, you know they've the, the grotto's had a lot of resurged interest because of us and because of Azim Cinema Grotto out in Hollywood, California, and there's been a few others that have are really taken off. Um, they've had requests to charter grottos outside of the country, which would be, you know, a great idea outside of the United States and Canada where it exists now. Um, but then we start getting into problems again of recognition with Grand Lodges there. Uh, simple things like currency conversion. How are they going to pay our dues in their money, especially if there's a, a big currency conversion shift? It's a big issue with chartering Masonic bodies in the Philippines right now because their currency is so weak against ours. Um, it makes it very difficult for them to pay the level of dues we're paying as a member. And you don't want to have to get into a situation where you're grandfathering them on different dues levels and all of that. It, it just it's one of those things where you have an organization that had been not doing well and is finally starting to do well. And I think they're looking at their resources saying, let's concentrate our resources on reviving what we have rather than trying to do something wild and new that we may not be able to handle. Um, something else to hear for our local, our local grotto. And this is a, a conversation you had started and we had just picked these things up. We have just acquired six uniforms. The big six? The big six uniforms. So can you tell, uh, tell our listeners what the big six is? Yeah, the big six was a, uh, a marching unit out of the, the grotto in Cleveland, uh, Al Surat, a very old grotto, one of the earliest. Um, they had a marching unit of guys who were over six feet two tall, and they put them then in what basically British guard uniforms with the big black furry hats. And it looks like the, um, the guards from Wizard of Oz. 
they're winky guards. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're winky guards. Um, and then they would put these guys on parade. So you've got this very large guy in a very large hat and this huge uniform. And, that and was, an axe. And an axe. That, that was their parade unit. And also the, the monarch's personal bodyguard, which I think is what Pete likes the most about it. Um, yeah, so they, they put out a call saying that they, they had to close down this unit because they just didn't have the members to do it and asked if there's any grottos interested. So Ubar stuck its hand up as well as a couple others. And uh, after a long time of trying to figure out how to get to Cleveland to pick up three large trunks of uniform stuff, we finally got guys to go out there and, and pick it up. But I think it's going to be an exciting new thing for us. So at the last meeting, the um, Andrew Sterling showed us some pictures that he had taken. I saw some of those pictures. They at one time had, I think, 10 or 14,000 members yeah. in their grotto. Yeah. They had a picture of one of their classes, which is... I mean, my only frame of reference is uh, like is the Scottish Rite building in uh, in Harrisburg. It the picture is big or bigger than any of the biggest Scottish Rite classes I've ever seen. I mean, it's hundreds of guys joining at one time. And then there was another old picture of the degree team, and their costumes look like something right out of Hollywood from the twenties. Yeah, it was a very cool picture. The, you know, the, I think the days of those giant classes unfortunately are gone. But it reminds you of the work the brothers put into making that sort of thing happen. Because uh, that wouldn't have been an easy thing to put on stage production-wise, to feed those people. They were just running a much bigger operation than we are. So one of the other things we... Um, the thing that most people know about Grotto is we wear the black fez. We are kind of like the um, the poor man's shrine. The as Rodney people, Dangerfield of Freemasons. Yeah, like in a lot of places we show up, we're in a lot of towns where there isn't a shrine. Um, so one of the early things that, uh, kind of like built some interest and fun with, uh, and some of the rivalry between us and Azim was one of our members, our second monarch, uh, George, um, he has a fez and had uh, a fez. he had a fez. So I was not at that event. So maybe can you tell me, kill politely without, without disparaging our friends, what happened, how sure. he lost the fez. I would never disparage. Uh, we were at a, uh. And, and uh, I believe it was a hundred or hundred and twenty year anniversary for Azim. It was an, an Azim anniversary party at the Time Hotel on the corner of 49th in New York. Uh, having a great time. We were having drinks downstairs. It was it was a wonderful evening. And uh, at, at some point in the evening, George lost track of his fez prior to departing the party, and then later departed and uh, forgot to take it with him. And at which point, it was absconded with by uh, Isaac Moore, the current, the, the monarch of Azim at the time. And Isaac has connections all over the place with guys he's known from Freemasonry in New York City. So he got the brilliant idea to just start shipping George's Fez all over the world. Um, so as I sit here and look at it in front of me, just close enough for George to know it's here, but far enough that he'll still never get it back. Uh, we see it's been in Mexico. It's been in Romania. It was rowed across the Atlantic Ocean on a rowing team. Uh, it's earned its jump wings because it was jumped out of a, uh, of, a of an airplane by a, an army ranger. Uh, so there's pins from all over the place and it's traversed the globe back and forth. And really, at this point, I think it's more fun just to keep it away from him. I know. Um, I know Chris Rodkey, our chaplain, our, the Reverend Dr. Chris Rodkey for the full full title. Um, Chris had it to, in the Holy Lands. Yes, he went over. He was sponsored by the Knights Templar to go to the Holy Land and took the Fez with him. Um, it's funny. There's been a lot of talk about problems the Fez has caused, um, especially in the Holy Lands and other areas. Fezes aren't exactly looked on well because of historical connotations. So it's kind of like take a picture and hide it and don't talk about it. Uh, they also tried to put it on the, the head of a city. I, we've talked about before the, the head of a sitting head of state uh, that didn't work. So it was actually held by the Bobbies in London for a period of time and they had to go fetch the Fez back. Um, it, it's had way more adventures than George has had. And that's saying something. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's fun and, and people, and it's got its own well on Facebook page. Yep. Where in the world is George's Fez? You can find it on Facebook. So we'll, uh, we'll post a picture later today of, uh, of all of us with the Fez. Um, and then we're going to send it off somewhere else before George can track it down. There you go. Sounds great. So, Larry, one other thing that you may know about Mr. Seth is he is an expert in fezes. I know that. He has the Fezology Museum uh, virtual. virtual. Museum. I'll get that in. The Fezmuseum.com. Fezmuseum.com. <laughs> so, this is probably going to be like a whole episode later. But um, how many fezes do you have, Seth? 
Uh, I think I'm around 170 right now. Uh, and that's really a breadth collection, not a depth collection. They probably represent close to 100 different fraternal bodies. And um, so maybe just if anybody, if any of our four listeners um, has any, is there any specific ones that you're hunting for and can't find? Uh, I'm always hunting for, for the odd stuff. If you look at it and you don't know what it is, that's probably the one I'm interested in. Uh, you can check out the website, fezmuseum.com. There's a list there uh, under a buy section of all the stuff I'm, I'm currently looking for. Uh, and, and really, it's meant as a reference. I probably get uh, at least an email a week, maybe two from somebody who's got something. You know, my grandfather had this fez. What is it? Can you can you explain this? Tell me about it. What would he have been doing? Why, why did he have this fez? Um, and it kind of offered as a public service in that way, because a lot of, of families, you know, the fraternal aspect wasn't talked about. And now that, you know, grandpa's dying or maybe dad's dying and they're, they're digging out the, the attic. Well, what's this? Why did he have it? Uh, and there's just no resources out there on the Internet for that right now. So it, it's something I'm passionate about for <clears throat> uh, for a historical reason and preserving something that a lot of men cared about that, that really isn't being preserved. And it's not just masonic bodies no absolutely not my, most of my collection is non-masonic uh bodies in general um <clears throat> the, the the best thing i can i can give you is a, a the reason i i collect fezes and we'll come back a, a, perhaps at another episode later i was out at a, a flea market here just nearby and i picked up a, fe a white fez with a what looked like an elk on it and it said bpor on the fez so well, what's this It's not something i had known so i bought it, i paid 20 bucks for it took it home started you know typing things into google and found out it was from something called the benevolent and protective order of reindeer um the they were formed as a group out of the moose because at the time the moose would not let african-american members in so they formed the order of reindeer because they couldn't call themselves moose because that was trademarked so i put this fez up on my website and lo and behold about a month later i get an email from a guy who says i'm a reindeer so, well they still exist that's exciting uh, fellow was in Florida and I called and talked to him and we had a great conversation, you know, all about what the reindeer were. And at the end I said, so why, why did you pick up the phone and, and actually want to talk to me? He said, if I don't tell you, nobody's going to remember what we did. This mattered to a lot of men. We spent a lot of money on charity. We've helped a lot of people, but nobody knows who we are. So if I don't spend some time talking to somebody, we're going to die. And all we did was for naught. And that's why I collect fezes because there's, this meant a lot to a lot of people and these organizations are dying and nobody's telling their story. And I tell the story through a silly hat. Wow. That's almost too deep for our show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got, I got a little misty. I, I was <laughs> Didn't mean to take Pete into a, a wow. dark place. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I, I thought for a while, I thought, Oh, we're going to have Seth on and talk about the museum. And we're going to talk about fezes. Good grief. I thought, but you know what? He just made it so darn interesting. We got to have him back. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, Seth, what do you have coming up in your life? Anything uh, cool in your Masonic uh, history that you can talk about? Well, coming up, of course, it wouldn't be a Masonic fraternity without a pancake breakfast. We've got our massive pancake breakfast coming up at Abraham C. Trichler Lodge. Uh, it's not your daddy's pancake breakfast. We'll serve 2,500 people in, in a morning, and we'll we'll generate between seven and $10,000 for our charity initiatives. The pancake breakfasts are, are a huge thing for us. Um, so that's kind of taking most of my time right now. Uh, also doing some work with, with Grand Commandery. One of our local fellows here is going, going in as Grand Commander of the Grand Commandery of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, and also one of our fellow Grotto Prophets is in line to be elected to the bottom of that line, Mark Mattern. So going out to support him and, and do the fraternal thing there and, and see where we end up. Sounds great. Well, was, it, was, the, was Skid Mark the Goat staying at Mark's farm? No. That was Abe's farm, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, Abe's farm. Yeah, Lebanon and Abe. And he wasn't, we weren't able to do the goat race because um, he oh. got banned for sub, illegal substances or something. I can't believe they drug tested a goat. Were you juicing the goat, Pete? Yeah. So he, he, we didn't get to go to the goat race. That, that actually should be right now today, but um, we're here. We instead. could race Larry. He, he, uh, he is in, he is in recovery, right? He, he is at a uh, undisclosed location somewhere down at the new Bolton center. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Um, so Seth, if you can stick around, we have one, we're going to, since we already take a couple breaks, we'll just go right into the news so we sure. don't go too long. So what have, um, Larry, what's the big story that has happened in Freemasonry that has leaked over into the real world? It is time for light news. Absolutely. What's happening? There's a lot of good things happening. Um, I, I want to try to keep it a little bit light. That's of course what we're about. And there are several things. And one of the things the top is covered toward the last will be what's going on over in Great Britain. 
However, one of the things we discussed earlier was, do you know that two weeks ago on a Sunday, the Freemasons in Maryland got together and they honored John Paul Jones after... From the who? From the who? No. (laughs) After he was laying in a a crypt below the uh, Academy Chapel for 118 years. Now, my question to you and anybody else out there, why did it take us 118 years to honor this man? Was it one because he uh, was in France and was all messed up over there? Or didn't didn't he go work for the Russians? He did. Catherine the Great had him uh, as an admiral in one of her fleets. So why did we not honor that? Somebody forgot to read the minutes of that session, I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that, that was the big question. It took us 180. And it, it, it somewhat reminded me of a, of a story, a little bit of a humorous, uh, not necessarily a joke, but how many how many masons does it take to change a light bulb? Well, the given number actually is, uh, I think, 64. And that is, uh, you know, the light bulb was out. Well, they have to tell the uh, worshipful master, and the worshipful master has to appoint a committee of three. And the committee of three has to come back with a report. Then the past masters as a group. Uh, they want to study the light bulb. Should they change the fixtures? So it goes on and on and on and on and on. And sometimes months pass, light bulbs not change. And that's what I thought. That's what I thought happened here. Somehow or other, they tucked them aside. They talked about it, but they never acted on because there weren't enough committees to make it happen. That's that's a good good reason. I think you're presuming they're willing to change something, Larry. I think that's where that that joke starts. How many masons <laughs> take like to change? change a light bulb? Change. <laughs> My right. daddy put that light bulb in. If it was good enough for his lodge, it's good that's, enough for mine. <laughs> that's not the way we used to do things. That's right. Uh, so uh, what else? Is, what else is happening? Uh, basically, one of the things is happening. Or one of the things we try to do. I mean, we have foreign correspondents that work with us. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, they feed us news and we get it, uh, through the, uh, internet resources. Our foreign correspondents by Google alert. The inner tubes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reddit. It's a series of tubes. Well, you know, I do have, I do have a lady that, that does help us out. She's fictitious, but she does. And we'll, we'll mention her name at the end of the show. But what, what's going on over in, in, in Great Britain, which this is a little bit more somber, is they, uh, they're going after a, uh, one of the top police officers, the chief over there, who uh, is in the area of South Yorkshire. And somehow or other, his name appeared on the list. And if you recall, about a year, year, year and a half ago, there was a, uh, a problem at Hillsborough Stadium, a soccer stadium. And someone won, and the field was flooded by fans, But it kind of got out of hand and 16 people were trampled to death. So that was a real scandal. Well, now what they're finding out was they're they're blaming people for trying to put a lid on it and uh, not prosecuting for a long period of time. So they're going after the chief of police and they're finding out that, unfortunately, some of the police officers in the hierarchy for that police department were Freemasons. Gasp. Yeah, you know, secrets. Oh, gosh. So now... What they're doing is they're thinking about indicting this poor guy, and uh, they're they're actually they're actually beginning to think about indicting the almost the the, uh, the craft of Freemasonry. So maybe this is you know, Seth. You're you're kind of more of a scholar on this stuff than we are. Um, you know, in America, you can look at my my car, my my bumper looks like I'm collecting, you have a bumper. I'm collecting Pokemon. <laughs> you know, like I've got Masonic stickers everywhere. Indeed. So, but in Europe especially in England, it's, it's kept kind of on, on the down low. Yeah, you know, they've, they've had a lot of questions and concerns in the UK over that, and there's been a lot of uh, persecuting of, of Masons and not wanting them to hold public office because of their, their concerns. And that's, there's another major, I just read this morning, another major expose in France where they're trying to out political folks who are Freemasons. Um, certainly when I was uh, over in, in the Netherlands visiting the, the Grand Orient of the Netherlands, uh, there wasn't a sign on the front of the building. There was a, a lantern that had a square and compass on it, but no G. And that was kind of, you know, knock on the, give the secret knock on the door and they would come out and meet you. But they, they normally don't advertise where they're at just because there still is a lot of suspicion about, about what we do uh, for, for many various reasons over there. Yeah. I, I saw another news news thing this week. Um, I don't know whether he's the, considered the president or the prime minister of Ghana. Just, you know, they, somebody outed him that he's a Freemason um, and a Catholic. And, you know, he just, he just owned up to it. He goes, yeah, I am. Yeah. What's the big deal? So, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, 
I don't know. The, the biggest conspiracy I'm ever involved in is, you know, like what speaker we're going to have and who we're not going to have. I mean, like there's no nothing here. I wish there was. The, the minute we figure out if we're having hammer tuna after the meeting, that's when we're going to take over the world. As soon as we get that figure out, the world is next. <laughs> so that's the news. That's light news. Those are the two big topics that we wanted to cover. And uh, anybody has anything as we go along in these podcasts, let us know. And we will entertain any kind of news whatsoever. Yeah, we'll talk, yeah. Well, anything above pancakes, we'll talk about. Yeah, correct. So, um, Larry, what else? Um, I guess we can probably wrap up here pretty soon because uh, we've got all got important things to do. No, we don't. Um, so, Larry, who are our sponsors this week? Oh, our sponsors this week, and I do want to thank them, is uh, it happens to be uh, the uh, Masonic Scarves Company that is doing a great job. You want to say anything about them, Pete? It's uh, almost the summer, so I don't expect you to buy a lot, but <laughs> log on MasonicScarves.com and they can make a nice waist belt. Yes, keep my uh, keep my crown royal habit going, please. And of course, the Red Serpent, which is a book that you can get through Amazon and uh, print or in uh, in Kindle. And uh, again, uh, two of the great two of the good sponsors, and we're open for more folks to become sponsors. We really are. Larry, don't beg. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to take an opportunity too to uh, to thank our producer. Uh, of Lancaster Podcast uh, Studios, and we, he does a great job. We love it. He doesn't like to use his name, so keep that quiet. Okay, we don't. Shh. Not using his name. No, I'm never uh, too closely affiliated with Freemasonry. I understand, but he's not a Mason. Uh, and to uh, our director Rocco Ruggieri, who we he's in his crate right now. Okay, but cool. he's got a squeaky ball. And of course, our foreign correspondents and the people uh, that help make this show possible. Our news director is I'm a blather. Thank you, Ima. And our foreign, foreign correspondent is not a worthy. And she's, she's, a, she's a great lady. And we enjoy getting stories from her through Google, of course. And also special um, uh, thanks to... Uh, oh, we, oh, for God's sake, Larry. Can you, can you tell that Larry's a fan of car talk? <laughs> <laughs> if you just did this with a New England accent, we could totally rip Absolutely. their show off. So in honor of, I think it was Tom, who passed away a couple of years ago at the greatest show on PBS ever, Card Talk. One of the things we want to close out is we do want to thank the law firm that represents us, keeps us out of jail probably, and that is the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Hal. And thank you, and when we say that, you know, we're, we're thanking the two guys from Card Talk that made PBS into what it is today. So if you're over 70 and you know about that show, um, thank you for listening. We're in Lancaster. I thought it was Richard B. MacDonald. Right. <laughs> Seth, thank you so much for, uh, for coming in today. Pete. We'll have you again soon. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you much.